Welcome to the ATP podcast and well we are on the eve of the Australian Open. It feels like we've already played a Grand Slam already with the news that's been going on. There's been plenty of tournament action, we'll be talking about that but the main thing is to preview the tennis, what's happening on the court, not necessarily what's happening in the courts. And so it gets underway. The site is looking fantastic. We are here at Garden Square as we're recording this today and we've got plenty to get through. We'll be hearing from Nick Kyrgios. He's had a bout of COVID. Will he be okay to start the first major of the year? We will also have our time capsule predictions. Yes, that's right. We are putting it on the record. So by the end of the year, we'll see how we did. It's not just me. I'm Peter Mercado. It's great to be here looking after the podcast for the next couple of weeks. But I'm joined by a big panel. They've all assembled. They've flown in from all corners of the world. It is fantastic to have them here. Jill Cravers, hello. Hello. It's nice to be in the same spot. We're not over Zoom like we were last time. I know. It's very nice. It's always nice to come back. We were just talking about that um, before we started. It's always nice to come back to Australia and... I've been here for a couple of weeks already because I got to do, lucky enough to do a lead-up event and then the qualifying last week. So I've got to see a lot of tennis already at the beginning of this year. So it's very exciting. I'm very excited to be back. And also joining us, it's great to have her back in the country again. Hello. It's so exciting. <laughs> As tradition dictates, when we're doing the time capsule, you must be here. Well, it's so nice. To, I've, I've seen quite a lot of Chris. We've been working together in the UK. He'll be introducing very shortly. But to see yourself and Jill, I've seen you over Zoom. It's not the same. Technology is weird. It's wonderful, but it's weird. So to be across from you, and I have to say, I know we're talking all things on and off court. I, w- I only arrived late Thursday. I was listening to a bit of the Djokovic court case because as we speak it's Sunday morning on the way in I'm not sure it's helped my jet lag I mean that there is there is a lot a lot to unpick there we are not going to unpick through every single part of Good. the case thankfully <laughs> we'll leave that to others but uh, someone who's been very busy obviously flying from the UK over to here and he's just busily preparing another I'd say four or five chapters to add to his Djokovic biography Chris Bowers hello Hello. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful to be here as much as anything because as I travelled from my home to the airport, it was in driving rain and very cold. And here we are sitting in a short sleeve shirt, not a cloud in the sky, uh, gorgeous summer weather. So, uh, yes, it's wonderful. But uh, the last two weeks have been absolutely crazy. My, my phone hasn't stopped. I was even doing an interview on Djokovic about two hours before I had to leave for the airport to come here. And there'll be more since then. Um, people right around the world want to talk to me because they want to know about Djokovic. And, and what's interesting is the number of people who know the name but don't know much about the, the person behind it. Well, we'll um, talk about that in a bit of detail. But firstly, for the three of you, you're here now at Melbourne Park. Uh, Gigi, you weren't with us last year for the event that was in February. And have a, how good is the site looking? There's been some new additions. So if you're watching around the world, you'll see that there's a brand new court, the Kia Arena that's been uh, set up, which is a 5,000 seat, the Sunken Show Court. We've got a brand new media centre, so you'll see some new buildings around the place. The landscaping's being done. How good does this site look at the moment? I got lost yesterday. Um, (laughs) I'm glad we've still got the trams that go through on cue every couple of minutes. Uh, But yesterday I came in to try and get my bearings on about one hour sleep, so probably wasn't that good. But it's stunning. It's wonderful. It's always my favourite days at any Grand Slam are the days before the doors open to the public. I love the public coming in, but it's these days when we can walk around and see things and the places we get to go in the media centre. I went up to the balcony now, the terrace where the interviews are carried out, the interview rooms. It's absolutely fabulous how they've set things up as wonderfully for the players as they have done for the media 
as they have done. For, I'm still going to get lost, but it, it's still early days. The jet lag still wearing off. But I don't, Chris, if you agree with me, it, it's. Uh, I mean, I was covering this from Salford last year when it was snowing and cold. But just to be here and see the changes. Yeah, I mean, I was here last year, so um, I, I saw a lot of uh, building sites last year, and the new um, centerpiece building between uh, the um, try to get my distance between the northern perimeter of Melbourne Park and Rod Laver Arena uh, on the edge of Garden Square. It, it, it's a beautiful facility. There are new media facilities inside. It's just looking a little bit more deliberate this year, whereas last year looked temporary. I, rem- I remember the years when Wimbledon was in its major redevelopment phase and Roland Garros in its redevelopment phase, and while you accept that there will always be a couple of years um, with um, builders' facades up because that's inevitable to keep the event running when you've got a project that's going to take more than 50 weeks of building time. It's just, it feels so much more deliberate now and that's, I think, what feels good about it. I think it's what you were angling for, Peter. Oh, absolutely. You know, just a big tick for what they've done here. It's been many, many years. And, and that Kia Arena is, is wonderful. In fact, it's the kind of arena I go into. And I think, you know, so many tour events where they would regularly get 5,000 for their main um, matches, but not that much more than that. They would love an arena like that. It's a beautiful arena. And I just hope it gets used for events outside the Australian Open. It will. Don't worry about that. Used all year round, the facility. Anyway, we're from, from happier times to... What's been going on? It's been a slow news week, let's be honest, in the world of tennis. There hasn't been much going on at all. The qualifying's been happening, a couple of tournaments around the place. Oh, and of course, yes, that little thing of the world number one being, uh, well, he's got deportation orders. At the time that we're recording this, the court case is underway. Um, so we're not quite sure of what the outcome will actually be, whether he'll play, whether he won't play. Um, but this has been the thing that's pretty much overtaken everything else tennis-wise over the past uh, seven days. Yeah, and I I actually think it's unfortunate because I think Nadal yesterday made a great comment that it's still an amazing event, and we've sort of gotten away from the fact that this is an amazing event with all the news and how messy everything has been with Djokovic, and I feel like every time I hear something new about what's happening, the, the information has changed or something new has come out or... What, what we thought was happening is now completely opposite. So I think it's really tough to give sort of any opinion on what you, what you think should or shouldn't happen. Um, so I think we just have to wait to see what the government decides and what happens. But I think you even hear from some players that, you know, they think he's here, so he should just play. Other players are saying it's not... It's not necessarily fair because everyone came in thinking they had to get vaccinated. And I think it's just so it's so confusing to everybody right now. And I think it has taken away some highlights of how amazing this event is and how we've just been talking about how beautiful the grounds are in the new stadium, stuff like that. So I feel like the focus should be on the tennis and hopefully soon. Gigi, I know you've only just recently flown in, but the story obviously has international prominence. All the major news outlets are covering it. At one stage, the BBC was actually taking a media conference from our Prime Minister. So <laughs> we were watching it on BBC. So Peter, which... I went into a chemist pharmacy back home to pick up some medication for my father. There's a lovely lady there. She's in her 70s. You have the polite, hello, how are you? Here's how are you? Lovely. I walked in. I said, hello. She said, Djokovic. I said, <laughs> right. I'm not here for his prescription if he has one. I just, she said, we have to talk about Djokovic. And I just thought this, you know, if... I never thought I'd be having this conversation with you. So this line of people socially distanced gathering behind me as I'm trying to get some drugs for my for my father. And she wants to know all about the case. I think everyone's talking about it. And what difference is when Emma Raducanu did what she did, 
everyone's talking about it for the right reasons and it was amazing and people are getting back out in tennis courts. Yes, people say there's no such thing as bad publicity, but I think the sad thing here is there are no winners. It doesn't matter who comes out in this final court hearing today. They may have claimed the victory today, but there are no winners. There are mistakes on all sides through this whole process. A lot of people are now just fed up because we haven't been talking about what has been a superb Australian. So, I mean, Chris, the, the headlines, the, the stories, the tennis stories away from Djokovic that have been going on have been fantastic, but this is what has been dominating the landscape. It has. Um, to me, this is a a classic modern-day internet-based story. Um, that's not to say there isn't substance to it. Of course there's substance to it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. But one of the big things that I have um, been emphasising in the interviews I've done, I've done interviews with BBC, CNN, uh, Spanish newspaper, French radio station, South African radio station, it's been global. And the thing that I have been saying, and it's the easiest question to answer, is, well, who is Djokovic? Why has he become so averse to taking the vaccine? And in many ways, he is has been consistent throughout his career. He believes in natural uh, methods. Um, I got the last interview with Yelena Gencic, the woman who taught him to play tennis, and she was telling me about stories when, you know, in his early junior days, when they'd go to a tournament and he'd go over to the side of the court where there were some wild flowers, he'd start sniffling and sneezing, and they'd find that actually there was a, an intolerance to, to something that was growing there, and he had the, the issues with food intolerances, which he took very seriously. Now. I am no medic, I am no scientist, so I am not in a position to make judgments about the rights and wrongs of his food intolerances or vaccinations or whatever. I'm a citizen of the world, I take an interest. Uh, but as far as Djokovic is concerned, what's happened here has been consistent with the way he has lived his life and run his career. And what I feel sad about the whole thing is that there has been total polarisation. He did not read the room, as, as, as a, which is, I'm afraid is a regular criticism of him. Um, maybe that's just part of the stubbornness of the champion, but we've known champions who have been more sensitive than that. Um, I think he completely underestimated what it's like to have had 262 days of lockdown since the start of the pandemic. That's been the reality in uh, Melbourne. Um, Peter, you can tell us all about that. But the fact is, when you've had that, then his behaviour does seem offensive. But when you know Djokovic, you understand where he is coming from. And the sad thing is that when you understand everybody's perspective, you can see that this is a far more complex issue than just a question of, well, he's right and they're wrong, or they're right and he's wrong. And that, I'm afraid, is what reflects the way of the world these days. We've got to try and win back the ability to see other people's perspectives, even if we don't necessarily agree with them. And if this whole business can at least lead to that I'm not sure that it will but if it could lead to that then it, something good would have come out of it and, and, I, and again I go back to we're not talking about Tanasi Kokonakis winning in Adelaide yes we're not talking about that we're talking about Novak Djokovic we're not talking about the other stories that are around on both the ATP and the WT at the moment this is this is we're sitting here on the eve of what's been known as the happy slam and again, we're talking about this, and I understand why we are talking about this. It's a huge story, but it's just a shame that it's it's taken away from the other stories that are around at the moment so completely. Well, having said that, I, I was very excited that the first thing I saw about the tennis on the news was Kokonakis winning, I have to say, and Karatsev winning as well, beating Murray in the final. So 
I have to say I was very excited because <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, okay, we're going to get the Djokovic update. But I was excited that those were the first two things that were on the news about the tennis yesterday. So, Kokonakis and Murray are both terrific personal yeah. stories of coming yeah, back from sure. horrendous injuries. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about the good news stories. I mean, obviously, at the time we're recording this, there's no decision. You'll find out all about that on various news services and social media and all the reaction and fallout. We might have something on it next week. But I do want to focus on the tennis because it has been... A great couple of weeks. We've had tournaments pretty much in Sydney, here in Melbourne, which was, you know, tournament tennis that's not Australian Open on Rod Laver Arena. That was pretty fun, Jill. You were here for that. I was in Adelaide looking after, talking about Ash Barty and um, the players and the men's tournaments over there. There has been a lot of tennis and, of course, the ATP Cup as well. So there's Can we, can we say that Ogier Eliassime has now won a title? Oh, wow. Well, there's a few in Team the title. time oh, capsule. Yeah, I hope so. Yes, yes. I'm going yes. 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 But now I have to change one yes. of my answers then for first tour title this year. Why? No, no, I because picked I it. Put Felix. I so survived. So survived. That means we've already got a point. Oh well, I picked it after he won it already. Oh, I just so did you it yesterday. Can't have the point. Okay. I picked okay. it before. Can I have the point? Are we there yet? We're not there. I think it probably has to be an individual time. We need need an emergency committee (laughs) on that situation. Uh, We just do not have the time. It's going to be after the tournament. You can put as many injunctions as you like in there, G. Just not going to happen. Just as Djokovic, uh, the big big part of his career, took off after he he helped Serbia to win the Davis Cup, I can see that Ogelia seems, you know, leading Canada to that ATP Cup win, especially as they they lost the first four matches they played. Um, They ended up winning the uh, tournament. I think that could actually give him a lift and... He could be a bigger factor this year than uh, um, than he might otherwise have been. All right, well, let's do a quick skirt around the panel and talk about some of the highlights of the on-court matches that have been played in the lead-up. Any key storylines or things that we should be thinking about? Jill, you've been based in Melbourne the last couple I of have. weeks. Yes, it was a fantastic event. Obviously, Nadal winning that event, and in the beginning, you know, I'll wondering how he was going to come out playing because he was away for five months because of a foot injury. And he, you know, probably didn't start off his best, which is normal, his first singles match back in five months. But he got better and better as the tournament went along and won that event. And very impressed with... um, who we beat in the final two, Maxime Cressy, who had an unbelievable week. I got to speak with him last year a little bit, and he was saying um, how much in particular meditation and yoga has really helped him as far as mentally getting to where he is now. And so he like that for him was a huge mental boost, um, and he feels like feels like it's really affected his game and obviously in a positive way. So it was great to see him do really well and get to the final because he had some battle battles to get to the final. Uh, obviously, uh, Murray getting to the final um, in Sydney was great. But for me, Kokonakis. I interviewed Kokonakis here last year. I mean, I've always liked him as an individual. He's a first-rate human being. And he was saying, well, I'm finally fit. I just need to stay fit. It's going to be a slow process, but I've really got to work hard. He took Sitsipas to five sets here last year. But um, he talked about the struggles he'd been through. In fact, his interview with me for ATP Tennis Radio was one of the first ones where he actually talked about his mental health problems and the, and how low he'd been at the height of, um, uh, of, of his physical battles. And... Uh, as we finished the interview, uh, the microphone was off and uh, I said, look, I hope you didn't mind me pushing you. He said, no, uh, I've been reluctant to talk about the mental health, but um, you pushed me on this one and actually it felt OK talking about it. And actually, maybe it's good that I do. And I, he's talked a bit more about it in other interviews since then. And I was following his results. I looked to see where he'd been up to by the French and Wimbledon. And uh, it was OK. It was steady. And I think 
what his victory um, in Adelaide shows is that nothing comes quickly. I know Raducanu won the US Open out of nowhere, but by and large, these things take a long time. And um, Kokonakis took 18 months to win that Adelaide title. And it was a slow process and it was deliberate and a sort of very pleased to have been a tiny step of the way with him with that interview last year and I was just so pleased even that he got to the final but when he won it um, and there was that one match he won what 12-10 in the final set tie break just just amazing and wasn't it wonderful that he won it in Adelaide as well and, and the, the noise from that stadium and, and his emotions it's one of the wonderful stories as is Andy Murray going to the final in Sydney he was very emotional in his speech when he thanked his family back home Aslan Karatsev I mean he's just the, the player that keeps on I mean the calves are getting bigger I didn't think they could get bigger I mean but he was playing some exceptional tennis and he's proved he's not a one hit wonder he wasn't just going to disappear He's back, yes he's got an awful lot to back up here but he's backed it up through the course of the year I didn't see an awful lot of the ATP Cup I was really happy for Shapovalov and and Ogelia Seam and the way they helped bring Canada through. And, and Roman Safulian, I know he fell in the final round of qualifying, but his friendship, sort of bromance with Daniel Medvedev, I loved. It's almost like they're trying to find the next Karatsev, saying, come on, Aslan did it, now it's your turn. And I love they were how they were together on the doubles court and how they played. As I say, I didn't see an awful lot of the competition, but there's just been some lovely stories. It's been great seeing Nadal back and, and winning a title and coming into form and, and coming here. So it's been, a, it's been a really good start to the season in terms of the tennis and the good news stories. Yeah, and I think the ATP Cup, one of the other things was it showed the depth in, as we already know, it was confirmation of the depth. So... Russia had players who didn't go there. Okay, so Fulham comes in. Okay, seamless. Bang. You just click in and away he goes. Um, with Spain, obviously, making it all the way through to the final. You know, Nadal's playing on Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne and his teammates are without Alcaraz too, not, you know, in that lineup. Doesn't matter. Interchangeable. Make it through to the final. So you can see the tremendous depth that's there in the players' interchangeability. One of the highlights for me was first week of Adelaide, Gail Monfils. Top seed, he had, as we know, a really tough 2021 on the court. I mean, off the court, you know, got married and all of that sort of stuff. But talking to him and the way he went about his tennis, he is relaxed, he is happy, he's enjoying life, and that's the Gail Monfils that we want to see because he, you know, he, he said, I've done all the work, you know, a big pre-season, all of that sort of stuff. But he can also do the showman type things and entertain the crowd and rev them up. That's the type of Gail Monfils that we want to see. We don't want to see sad Gail. We want to see happy Gail. Obviously, you know, getting married, he's, you know, everything's content on, on that side of things too. So, you know, okay, he's may not be right at the very, very top of the rankings, but he can still trouble the best in the world. And I think what we saw in week one will give some indication that he's going to be a handful when he's here at Melbourne Park over the next couple of weeks. So with that in mind, let's move ahead to the actual draw for the Australian Open. And obviously, a lot of interesting first-round matchups coming out. When the draw came out, Chris, eventually, um, what were one of the, some of the ones that took your eye? Well, I'm obviously interested to see whether Kyrgios can win because the possible second-round match of Kyrgios against Medvedev could be fantastic. Um, 
I'm actually looking for players like Medvedev. There's a, quite a bottom-heavy um, section of the draw there. I, I, I have a feeling Sverev could do well. I was in Sverev's press conference yesterday. I haven't seen him look this relaxed for a long time, and his, his answers to questions were more eloquent than they normally are. Now, you could say, well, that's a, why read something into a press conference? So often, when players are at their most eloquent, they are at the most relaxed, and that everything is working well. And I could see Sverev doing rather well this year. I think the problem is there's too many that are dangerous, in my opinion. I feel like so. I mean, I agree. I think Zverev, he's, he did sound very good, very relaxed. And I think, I mean, he's to me, he's always a contender because he's got the big game to be able to win slams for sure. We know that. Had a fantastic year last year, obviously, and just seems like he's in a good headspace. Um, I was just looking at some, rather than thinking of, like, winners, I was just looking at, like, first rounds. And I know I mentioned Cressy before. He obviously is playing John Isner first round. I mean, that's going to be not many long points, but <laughs> I'm curious to see how he follows up, how the last couple of weeks he's done well. Nori Korda first round, I think, is going to be a really good match. I'm looking forward to that. I've yeah, been... they played each other Delray Beach at yeah, the beginning of last been... year. I mean, Nori obviously had an amazing year last year, and Korda, I'm hu- just a huge fan of his game. Like, I think he's definitely going to be a Grand Slam champion at some point, so I'm looking forward to that match. The other thing, too, just looking at Nadal, that uh, Nadal section of the draw is, is stacked. Like He's got uh, Iran first, and then potentially Kokonakis in the second round, <laughs> and, and then keeps working his way through, but He's got Karatsev, he's got her catch. You know, there's there's some quality there. And we're also not talking about, I mean, obviously the Djokovic stuff, as we say, is overshadowed. But let's not forget Nadal is in this draw and he's equal with the other two. So he could go one ahead potentially. And he's he looking here. to achieve what Djokovic did at the French last year. And that is to have two or more of all four slams. This is the only one he's only won once. And it was 13 years ago, back in 2009. For me... Nadal's chances are nothing to do with the opponents. He can beat anybody in the draw. It's a question of how comfortable he is on the hard courts because he's never that comfortable and he's never that comfortable this part of the year. He often gets a little niggling injury. And uh, last year, you know, to have lost a match from two sets to love up. um, I mean, that was remarkable for Nadal. And I think this is the slam where he's least comfortable. Let's talk about Andy. Shall we talk about Andy? Got best just actually, like Billy again. What the I've, hell's going on here? I've, I've actually, I don't know if this is allowed. You'll probably all shout me down, but I was asked to pick my winner and my dark horse. Can you have a dark horse who's won Grand Slams? I went for Murray as a dark horse because he's playing. If he wins this Australian Open, he'll have won it with a with a different well, heat. I consider a bit a dark of him that horse, wasn't here the last. I consider a dark horse unseated, so I would say yes. Okay, you're allowed. good. Right. Def, definitely allowed as a dark horse. Oh, marvelous. Yes. So, I uh, so Andy Murray be my dark horse. Whether. Whether he can stay the course, and it's tough, he opens against Nicholas Basilashvili. They've had two meetings before. They've both been very tough, long meetings. He came through against him in Sydney. I think the body is holding up now. He'd need some things to go in his favour. He's not going to be one to be out there for sort of five hours at a time in blistering heat, but he's full of confidence. He wants to have a big run, hasn't he said? He'd like to come back and end with 50 titles and a deep run at a slam. And why not here? He wants to keep winning against the same opponent over and over and over. <laughs> His problem is that he does not finish matches quickly enough. Yes, and that's that, going to be the issue. And that is, you know, in a way, Federer's got to the stage now. If Federer comes back at some stage this year, I think he can win more titles at, you know, tour level, best of three sets. And in a way, Murray may have got to the point where he can last a week a best of three sets level. Can he last seven best of five set matches? And the answer is only if he wins them quickly. 
and he hasn't shown much ability to do that in the couple of years since he's been back with the new hip. Let's take a look at some of the other matchups as well. I think uh, we've talked next gen. Uh, we've got well former next gen in Alex Dimonor taking on Lorenzo Musetti in the opening. That's going to be a fun one. Musetti's still only playing. 19. I mean, he's been around for a couple of years, but he's yeah. still only 19. I mean, if he and I will, well, you know, I'll never forget Roland Garros when he, had, he was up two sets on Djokovic, and so he was down two sets, and he just said, "Right, I've had enough. Are you injured? No." She just don't think I can win. I mean, I loved it. Djokovic's face was like, really? Okay, this has happened. He said, yep. Because everyone's like, what's the injury? I haven't got an injury. Just don't think I could win. Okay, bye. That's so it. So we would have had a word with him and said, uh, friend, that doesn't work. <laughs> You're going to be fined next time. So uh, fabulous when he's in full flight and he's an exciting yes. player. But as you said, he's, he's still very, very young. It's, it is an intriguing one, though, to start things off. It certainly is. Any others that are catching your eye, Jill, since yeah, you're forensically well, I, going through the was, draw over yeah, there? Yeah, I know I was. <laughs> I was listening to what you were saying too. But <laughs> no, that one stood out with me. I definitely had. I was I was curious how um, the American Nakashimo had a really good year, was going to yep. do against Berrettini. Because um, that's going to, I mean, he's a very consistent player. We know Berrettini can bring the power. I mean, I think that's a tough first round. Um I think Berrettini will probably come through, but I was curious to just see how Nakashima was going to do in that one. Um, I know we're getting, I know we're getting to the our, all of our picks later, but I'm curious to see how Holger Rune does too. I mean, Holger um, Victor Nonskov Rune. Yeah, the, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad they've shortened oh, it. Yeah, I know. I know. I just love his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, I, I've picked him, actually, as the breakthrough player. That's why I'm curious to see how he was going to do for personal reasons. I think one of the other... Because <laughs> he's one of my picks. Well, one of the other interesting things is, like some, you know, Norrie taking on Corder, for example. Now, Corder hasn't played because he's had COVID and he's been in isolation. He's been in tennis balls in his hotel room with varying degrees of success, if you've seen his social media. Um, but there's been a few players that haven't had the opportunity to actually play because they've been in isolation. So someone like an Andre Rublev, which actually, you know, I give Medvedev a little bit of a, a pass, you know, for the leader because he's played so much tennis and there was so little downtime. So you can see why there might be just a little bit of a, you know, a reduction in his output, but I think he can raise it back up again. For Rublev, it might be an opportunity just to have a bit of a rest too, because he's, he's played a hell of a lot of tennis too. But some of these other players that have been in isolation to see how they front up round one here. Rublev doesn't like resting. He just wants to play. Even when his coach says, I have a day off, he turns up with balls and says, let's go. So I can imagine he's like a caged animal. But we talked about Cam Norrie now. He, had, he said, look, I had a, a week off season and then I got COVID and he lost the three matches in the ATP Cup. And he said, I don't feel I've, I've got enough in me. He said, the Australian Open comes quite soon. But he said, after Australia, I'll probably then do another pre-season and then I'll be able to sort of more pick what I do. It's almost come upon some of these players too soon. They're suddenly here. And a lot of them haven't had a long off-season because you had the ATP Cup and, and before that you had the Davis Cup finals and, if, and then you had the tour finals. So if you're successful and, and Cameron Norrie went as an alternate and played a match, then, as I said, he just had a week. So a lot of these guys haven't had a lot of downtime. You mix in and a few of them have been in isolation, have had COVID, that I think we're going to see some, I think we're going to see some interesting results, especially early on in the draw. And Norrie is one of those players that needs matches. He needs to build up. It was interesting that he, you know, second half of last year, was so good. I mean, a lot of players who did well in the second half of last year, they've lost the momentum this year. I suspect for someone like Sverev it won't matter because he's got a big enough game that he'll just pick up where he left off. But I think for some, the, the break at the end of the season actually will not do them much good. And when I looked at Norrie's position in the draw, I thought, oh, that could be interesting. And then thought, you know, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get beyond the second round. Rissa Frory and Felix Auger-Aliassime. We've got Riley Pelka and Kevin Anderson talk about short points. I think there might be uh, not too many long rallies in that one. Let's see if Kevin can make a rise back up the rankings in, in 2022. From an Aussie perspective, look, it's going to be tough. I think the, <laughs> the dial has switched from Demonor to Kokodakis as the, the big Aussie hope on the men's side. Obviously, Ash Barty on, on the women's side. And I think Barty helps the men in the sense that all the focus on can Australia win a first... Uh, Australian Open title since the 70s will go on Barty and therefore the men will play with less pressure. Yeah, well they've got tough draws pretty much all of them, whichever way you look, really. I found out something quite interesting the other day as I was walking my children to school. This sounds off topic and I promise you it's not. And and one of the mothers who's an Australian, she'd given me her shopping list of what she'd like me to bring back. She hasn't been able to come home. She knows I work in tennis. And she said, oh, do you know my cousin? I was like, probably not. And she said, it's it's Chris O'Connell. Oh. And and I still don't know her cousin, but I know of her cousin. <laughs> I just don't know him personally. And she said, yes, he's my cousin. And she actually told me um, he'd received a wild card before it was officially announced he'd received a wild card. So I have this inside track if we need it. Christopher O'Connell. Well, that's um, excellent. There we go. Look forward to doing horse. the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Not my dark horse. I'm sticking with Andy Murray for my dark horse. It, Chris O'Connell got his accreditation right next to me because they said, "Chris, your accreditation." And two of us put our hand out to pick it up. <laughs> and, and you didn't go grab his accreditation. You get you a lot further around the site. Earn <laughs> me more prize money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's got Gaston in the opening round. Um, Vukic versus Harris. That could be an interesting match from an Aussie perspective too to see how that plays out. You and I were doing the qualifying, Jill. Yes. Uh, across the five days of qualifying at Melbourne Park. We had very little rain, which was great. We managed to get the whole draw through. Any that took your eye. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of Norbert Gombos because just the name. Yeah, yeah, I think What's Norbert that? is a fantastic it's the best name. Name in tennis. I agree. Norbert Gombos. Maximilian Martyr, Radu Elbot, Moldova's finest, is through again, which makes me very excited. Uh, we've got uh, plenty of players. Liam Brody, obviously, what a moment for him. We uh, the scenes Faces after his Nick match. Kyrgios in the first round. Yeah, but he's the scenes after his. So emotional. Yeah, to actually get through and win into the main draw see what it means for these players yeah it's it's, it's been a really good six months or so has it from from Liam Brody even you go back to last season doing what he did on the challenger circuit and coming through being part of Great Britain's Davis Cup team getting that confidence and now coming through qualifying that is it's one of the hardest fantastic. things to do by the way is that I mean you hear players all the time talking about trying to transition from the challenger tour to the ATP tour so many say it's you know difficult to make that jump and because you're so used to winning so many matches if you have that level on the Challenger Tour and then you might not, that might not happen right away when you get to the ATP Tour and sometimes that can be a little bit demoralizing but so to come back and have that amazing run at the Davis Cup and to be able to get that confidence it's, to me that's really impressive. Kokonakis did the same thing. I sometimes say to um, young tennis reporters go and just go to a Challenger yeah. Tournament if only spending one day there because you suddenly see the other side of tennis. The, the standard of play is incredibly yes. high. You've got players of, well, I mean, some challenger tournaments, you might have players ranked between, say, 100 and 250, but they're struggling to make it financially. Um, they, they won't have any logos on their racket strings. They'll have a different uh, manufacturer of their shirt than their shorts. No sponsorship deals there. And, you know, for them, winning a round can be massive in terms of, of breaking even on the week. And I'll say three words to you, Chris. Thomas... Martin Echeverry. That'll be useful for the time capsule a bit later on. Okay, you picked him, have you? I may have anointed another one. Is he Yukaratsev? 
Is he a 2022 Toronto? <laughs> I, I, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, but yes. Are we not, are we not there yet? There's, we're almost there. <laughs> we're almost there. Let me get through this and then we'll get to there. <laughs> Look, plenty of storylines to come over the next couple of weeks. We'll be uh, keeping an eye on things here. We'll also talk about the doubles draw in our next podcast as well and, and see how things are progressing there. And we'll have a good week of tennis on-court storylines and things to follow as well. But we'll hear from Gigi, Jill and Chris here on the ATP podcast soon because we've got to do our time capsule predictions. There's so many interesting talking points and plenty of drama before a ball has been hit in anger. But before we round up events here in Melbourne, one man accustomed to the odd bit of drama himself is Aussie superstar Nick Kyrgios, who joined the team at ATP Uncovered recently to answer fans' questions. First one, next to you, Nick, who has the best hair on the tour? Um, well, what hairstyles do I like? Apart from me, I think I'm a big fan of like high top fade. One, two, three, four. And when someone has a fade with a bit on the top. So I think when Francis has a bit of a good fade, you know, Sock has a good fade. I think when people have a nice fade going, I think that's the way to go. It's the fade that gets you. Yeah, the fade I think looks clean. Um, you know, I'm not a big JJ Wolf fan. I still love him. Uh, I personally ain't a mullet type guy, but that works for him. You know, he rocks it well, but I'm more of a fade type guy. Favorite old school video game, and you can't say Call of Duty. Um, dude, Pokemon. You know, I definitely feel like I'm the best Pokemon Go player with, with my, on my old game. I'm playing Pokemon right now. The new one just came out, but that's like a must game for me. Like, whether it's on the Game Boy Color or anything, Pokemon's like my, my, my thing. Favorite Pokemon? Favorite Pokemon? Of course, say Gyarados. Gyarados, my favorite Pokemon. Who is your ideal mixed doubles partner? We know you've already played with Venus, so who would be next on that dream list? I've had a lot of amazing mixed doubles partners. Coco Goff would be another one that I'd love to play with. I think the crowd would love that. He probably doesn't know this, but I first hit with him when I was 12, I believe, at the Miami Open. Encore, he's a super funny, cool guy, and off-court, um, super kind. If she wants to play, I know that she'll be dominating singles for a while. She probably doesn't want to play mixed, but I would love to. Why do you think LeBron is better than Jordan? That clip kind of blew up last week. Um, better here first. LeBron better than Jordan. Not even, not even a debate. Kobe better than Jordan. Not even a debate. You looking at a champ. You looking at a champ. Look, I don't want to get into it because it's going to start a debate. If there's one game for my life, I'm taking LeBron simply because I know that he's going to be the best player on the court in every single category. He's going to get the most rebounds, he'll get the most assists, he'll get the most points, he'll lead the team. Better three-point shooter, better field goal percentage, bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic, better passer. I could go on and on, but... When can we see you and Andy Murray playing men's doubles together? We're all desperate for it. Make it happen. Um, I'd love to play doubles with Andy. I've actually asked him before, and I think he was obviously going through a bit with his injuries. Look, I'm not sure if that will be possible anymore. You know, he obviously takes the more conservative route, you know, with his career now. And as he should, you know, he's putting singles as a priority. So I think that ship may have sailed, but he's a great guy. And I'm just, I'm just, we're all glad to see him back and, and still winning matches and doing it at the top level. Doing more doubles now, you never know, yeah, you he might, know. might yeah. come calling. Last one here for you, the Casper Rude question. Yeah. He wants to know what's your favorite clay court tournament? My favorite clay court tournament, I think would have to be, mm, 
Oof, Houston would be up there. You know, I think one, I love playing in America. With that, that event, I've actually had some good memories there. I had a lot of fun. Just outrageous. And Madrid. Yeah, I don't see no competition. I don't see no competition. Um, I had some good wins. Rafa's also chopped me there once too, so maybe not. But yeah, probably Madrid. Yeah. Nice. Those are both easy. solid choices. Yeah. That's all I got. All right, guys. Thank Take you so easy. much. The one of a kind, Nick Kyrgios, speaking to ATP Uncovered. We're not done yet. We've got plenty to come here on the ATP podcast. It's the return of the time capsule as we make our predictions for the year ahead. That's next. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Time now for the fearless ATP podcast predictions. We've got our commentary team, or I should probably rephrase that and say what were our commentary team for ATP Tennis Radio. Uh, but all our commentators around the world have been putting in their predictions to win the ultimate tennis trophy. Forget about, you know, Wimbledon's iconic, the Australian Open ones, even the ones in Adelaide uh, we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And here I must interrupt you because... Um we actually have a presentation ceremony, which doesn't really work on radio very oh, well. No. But uh, we oh, have yes, arguably it, the world's ugliest trophy. Oh. Uh, it's known as Rudy. <laughs> this is ugly, uh, a cherub <laughs> with so sunglasses and a nappy, or if you're listening in North America, a diaper. Um, and this goes to the winner of our time capsule. And 2021, we had a five-way tie. Uh, five um, of our pundits got the same number of scores, one of which was Peter Mercato. Yes. This really should go for a couple of months to each of you, but we've decided that <laughs> on the basis of improvement, because you were so abysmal in the previous four years, uh, we're actually letting you have And this. because no one else wants it. Yeah, exactly, it. there were four <laughs> declines. But on one condition, Peter, yes. on one condition... You keep it. That you do it never not, comes back. You do not mention the fact that you tipped Aslan Karatsev ever again. Well, I'm afraid Ooh. I can't do that. You're going to have to take that home with you, Chris. I'm terribly sorry. I mean, Look. after seeing this trophy, I have to say, I, I'm glad I didn't. I was. I wasn't involved in the it's time truly horrendous, last isn't it? year. Well, <laughs> when we finish recording this podcast, we might take a photograph of Peter with it, yes. uh, just so that, and we'll post it on some social media, just so that everyone can see just how can ugly this is. Can you stop waving is. it around? Just put it on the table but, uh, or put it Peter, in a bag. Thank you. It gives me great pleasure to give you this. Fortunately, I wasn't stopped at customs with it. Um, <laughs> we were explaining that one. Or even when I came into Melbourne Park today with it, because I, when they checked my bag, I thought, what are they going to ask me when they see this? But uh, it has made it successfully. And congratulations, congratulations. on your excellent tipping from yes, last year. Thank you. It was uh, very, very I hope you. I hope you keep it every year. It's the one prize <laughs> that nobody wants to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gives me impetus now to try and get over to the other side of the world to drop it off at the other end of the year. Yes, no, absolutely. Now, time capsule is something the tradition, Gigi, you and I very basically started uh, a number of years ago when we did the... <laughs> Gosh, this this this. It's uh, got the full frontal view of the <laughs> of the trophy because Gigi turned around so I could see it. I can't I can't have it looking at me. I just <laughs> I, I find it quite unnerving and, and unpleasant. So back to the time capsule then. So yes, sorry for you this. and I have uh, we pioneered this at every year the Australian Open. At this time, we sit down and we go through all of the different predictions. So the way this works is there's a number of questions. There's nine questions this year. 
that we ask our esteemed commentary team to come up with. Uh, answers to, of course. Not they don't have to come up with the questions as well. That would be messy. And then at the end of the year, we actually work out who the winner is and everyone gets points and then we battle over, you know, semantics and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and then we come up with a winner who wins the trophy. So... With that in mind, let's roll through some of them and I'll go through some of the... Uh... Can I just say that I did my predictions. I, I'd forgotten about the time capsule. I apologise. And I, I got the email from producer Russell and I was literally taxiing on the runway to take off. So I'm furiously writing things down. <laughs> Are they still together in doubles? Okay, so they're going to win. Okay, how many... Right, okay, how many names have I got here? And they're saying, please switch off your device. And I'm thinking, I'm nearly there. And managed to get it sent to Russell. That's, anyway, that's my excuse. The other... I just sent mine today. Was that, They're probably going to win it now. I hope not. <laughs> the other <laughs> tradition, I will take it, I'll bring it home. Gold cherubs coming it's my coming way. Up. Um, that's the other tradition, of course, Chris, with the time capsule, that as soon as we start this podcast, either Gigi or myself are frantically writing. We're writing very quickly and we just slam the answers down as quickly as possible and then spend the rest of the podcast making light of the fact that we've slammed. So if it all goes pear-shaped for the last couple of years, that's been my excuse. Anyway, let's go through these. Year-end number one singles. Who didn't say Daniel Medvedev? Yeah, I, I did. I just think he's... I mean, he's proved me wrong for so many years. I did not think he'd be the most successful of the Russians for many years, but he has been. And I just think he's got this consistency. And now that he's actually developed a, a belief that he can win at least some matches on clay, I think he'll be unbeatable over the year in, in total number of um, ranking points. A couple of Djokovic's. One from Lucy Arl, Pete Odgers. Uh, who else? The hardworking producer, Adam Fielder. How is Adam? Is he good? I don't know. I haven't seen him for a while, but uh, he was one of the five that you shared the trophy with. Yes, and Lucy Arl was particularly good in the quiz uh, last year, so I'm willing to go with things that with she the says. Rest, with all the rest, Medvedev then. Brian, the bread maker Clark, says uh, Sasha Zverev. He's picked Zverev as a change. The rest, of there have been a lot of Medvedevs. Uh, Candy Reid also picked Sasha Zverev in our team. Year in number one doubles team. This one's always a little bit trickier because we've had uh, all sorts of combinations, getting together, splitting up, getting back together again. It's so hard to keep up. But uh, Ram and Salisbury is the leading picks, was that? I went with Mektic and Pavic as we were the taxiing other on the runway. And, then, and then, then I just deleted them and then I put Ram and Salisbury in. And I, I can't explain my thinking. I went with Mektic and Pavic. I think they're a fantastic duo, massive fan of, of Pavic. But I went Ram and Salisbury. It's going to be one of those two, isn't it? I mean, I, I can't went cool Hofstab's game. Oh, okay. I Why did not? too. You did? Yeah. Yes, well, they've had a great start to the year. Yeah, they have had I a great think that could be. The they're a bit down the range, around the 20 odd mark, both of them, but they could have a big rise if they, they stick together. Uh, Coffee with Cation picked uh, Cabal and Farah as the, the number one team. Uh, but the it's rest. It's a good shout, but I would just wonder whether their best years are now behind them. Never. Keep looking through it's all my paper chance, going everywhere but... here. <laughs> And, yes, it's been pretty standard across the board. So you and I are outliers on that one, Jill. Okay. Breakthrough player. Now, this is always the contentious one on ATP uh, Tennis Radio, but also the ATP podcast. Coming from outside the top 100 for the first time and having climbed the most places. So this is the Aslan Karatsev Award. Uh, and where did we go, team? I went with Holger Runa. That's who I went Full with. name, please. <laughs> Peter? Holger Vitus Nerdskov Rune. I love it. Okay. So he was, he was my pick. I would have picked him, but I've gone for him for the winning the next gen. But I did I've too. gone for Thomas Machak from the Czech Republic, who's currently ranked 130 and I think could be rather useful. I've gone for Liam Brody. Great. 
And you, Peter? I went Thomas Martin Echeverri. Well, we've got a nice little mix around this table. The, the reasoning behind that, again, you go to challenger form. He's played exclusively on clay. Like, I'm going to put that out there right now. He's finally qualified for the Australian Open, but he's picking up titles and going deep into those challenger events has made a rise up the rankings. He's, he's outside the top 100, Well, Sarundalo qualified for the next gen last year, having played almost exclusively on clay. Yes, and I think he can make that There are a lot step. of ranking and points on his, clay. Exactly, and this is his time. He's, he's going to make that transition through, and we'll see how he goes. Um, some of the others, if I have a quick look, obviously Runa is the... The popular one there. Now, Brian Clark wrote Sarundalo, but didn't specify which, because there are two of them. I think it's Juan Manuel. But I think Juan Manuel is inside the top 100, is he not? Anyway, oh, we we'll get be, our legal yes. team onto then that. Then he has we'll to have the other one. Out. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, that's the other that's one is outside the. Uh, I think he was safe either way. Um, Safulan from Rabbi Uber has a, a suggestion there. Uh, Kokonakis, which actually isn't right because Kokonakis he's already has been, been inside the top, the top 100. 100. I'm sorry, Lucy Ald, for mentioning that. Um, right, we move on. Next gen winner? I have Runa. Akra. And I said Musetti. Nice. So, again, nice we're all mix. over the place with this, and I like it. Um, who else have we got? Yeah, a lot of Runas from uh, pretty much most people uh, around the table. Moving on, question five. We're racing through these now. Who will win the most tour titles up to the end of the Paris Masters? We're talking about, obviously, the four majors, the Masters, the 500s and the 250s. Around the table, please, Jill. Me? I've never done. Well, I've gone for Rublev again for the reasons Gigi said earlier. He just loves playing. <laughs> and I've got Medvedev in his quest to be year-end number one. And I'm going with Casper Ruud. I was about to say Christian Ruud again. Casper you think he's going to clean up on the clay, yes. win a handful on the hard courts, yes. and that will take him to the yep, top? I think, he will, the I think he's going to have a, lower, a, a less productive year this year. Uh, so, Medvedev for a few of our commentators here. Sinner from Brian Clark. Reckons that Yannick Sinner is going to have a particularly profitable year in terms of uh, everything. Uh, so around the room, they're, they're the basic ones there. Let's keep moving on. Which player will win their first tour title? Felix. Felix. Felix yeah. Surely, surely, surely. He's got to, surely, He's got to win surely. A, a singles title this year. With all our support, it really hasn't worked in the past, but with all our support, there is a lot of pushing this year. Well, I think, as, as Chris said, the confidence he should have hopefully taken from what took place in the ATP Cup. And I know we're not classing that as his first title, but surely that's going to give him the confidence and belief. We all have a lot of faith in him. We do. But also, uh, there's been some other suggestions along the way. Uh, Steve Pearce, since Jensen Brooksby, might be a player to, to break through, potentially. I mean, He's how do not we here due to COVID. No, but... I mean, a long season. Steve's playing the long game, seemingly. No, but I was just, I was just giving just a bit of information to people wondering why we haven't spoken about him in the draw. Seb Lozier of Seb Lozier's Hour of Power on ATP Tennis Radio. Jan Lennart Struff. Oh, that would be, I would be happy about that. Does he not have a title yet? No, he's 31 and hasn't got a I'd title. I'd be happy, but I don't think he'll be right. No. Oh, okay. I would be happy. I only, only need to win in the one. Right, so my champion's question. I got to pick the question. As, which, as this was an dictates. amazing question, by the way. Thank you. Because I researched it after you said that, and I was like very impressed with how many countries are in the top 50. How many nationalities will make up the top 20 in the year-end ATP rankings? How many nationalities? Because I counted, there's already 15 different yep. ones in the top 20 right now. Isn't that amazing? I, and then I went to 50, and there's 11 more. Yes, I think actually that I've gone lower than 15. 
I went 12. Yep. So did I. I, went I think 12. I went 15, but I was taxing about to take off, so I think <laughs> I think I just looked at them, counted it, and said, that will do. So the, the flight will last 13 hours and 15 minutes, and you got 15. I'll go with that. Seb Lozier says 16. Brian Clark goes with 13. So it's all across the board. It's just one that's going to make it very interesting. All right. Now, this also ties in with what we're talking about now podcast where we previewed the Australian Open. Singles champions at each of the Grand Slams, Sivu Play. Um, we could probably just go around the room and see some popular picks and everything like that. So let's Australian Open, because that's the most prominent one. I picked Medvedev. I picked Medvedev. I've got two. Djokovic if he plays, Nadal if he doesn't. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Asterix, okay. I mean, I, I and I've gone for Sasha Zverev. I've got to go with uh, what I said in another podcast uh, at year's end about first-time winner. I think that'll be the case in both the men's and women's singles here this time. Uh, Roland Garros. Team, come back yep. with a bang. That goal now, that everything surely for team is now towards Roland That's Garros. That's a great I guess. thought long and hard about that and thought there is not enough time from the end of the Australian Open to Roland Garros for him to really get the number of matches under his belt that he needs. So I've gone for Tsitsipas because I think clay is his best surface. Nick McCarvel also going with uh, Tsitsipas. I had Tsitsipas at first and then I changed it to Alcaraz. Oh, hello. That could be the shout of the podcast. Yes. Time capsule. I know because he's only 18. I know so that. Hang on, he's not, Nadal was 18 when he first So hang on, he's Roland not Garros. your next gen winner like he is mine, but he's going to go no, and win I Roland Garros. Yeah, I think it, yeah. He'll play in the NITO ATP finals. He won't be there. Well, I expect I to see. Oh, like I, I don't have him as much. So you've got him winning a Grand Slam that automatically qualifies him, but you don't have him in your eight. No. Oh. That's okay. That's possible. Okay. Lucial has gone for Novak Djokovic, so just something a little bit different. I went for team as well. Um, a couple of Sitsi passes along the way too. So they've gone for Nadal. Yes. Uh, Brian Clark has gone for Nadal. I'm just hoping I'm just he stays Looking through me. my notes to see if anyone else has. I mean, what's interesting... Uh, Marcus Buckland has gone for Nadal. What's interesting is that Djokovic clearly outsiked him last year, but can anybody else beat Nadal at Roland Garros? I had three names before I switched to Alcaraz. Who were you so three? So I had Nadal and Tsitsipas. Miles McLaggen. Hello, Miles. Went for uh, Nadal. So there's a few there. Okay. So again, a good mix. It's nice. It's good to see, actually, that we're... Yeah. In, as has well, been become more to open as, as exactly. the big three, Things big four era li- goes out. Or we just don't want to win the gold trophy. <laughs> there is always that <laughs> argument to the time capsule. That's <laughs> no, my favourite sort of win, one where everyone else is just not not having a go. <laughs> right, Wimbledon. I went Sverev. I've, I've gone Djokovic simply because I think so few players know how to play on grass. Sverev. I found this the hardest of the four. This, I do too. This was the hardest. Because the, the grass is always tricky, yeah. I think. This yeah. is the hardest, but I, yeah, Zverev for me. Uh, Brian Clark, Seb Lozier, Steve Pierce, me. Uh, we have all gone for Djokovic. And I'm looking at some of the others. Marcus Buckland has gone for Djokovic. Ravi Uber has gone for Djokovic. Everyone is going for Djokovic, except uh, my esteemed colleagues in front of us here. <laughs> US Open. I went Medvedev. I went Medvedev. Zverev. I went with the heart. I went Rublev. He's got nice. to win something. Love Rublev. Oh, no. And, and, that, and that's the one tournament where slightly strange things can unfold. Well, that's what Steve Pearce is banking on because he said Nadal. <laughs> the silence says it all. <laughs> well, we won't be silent. Well, it's won't probably be a better shout than Rublev, but we shall see. We shall see. But, yeah, it's the, the usual mixture of our... Medvedev for Marcus Zverev for Ravi Uber. Who did Lucy pick? I can answer that for you. Pick Djokovic. 
to win. So, yes, there's a, a mixture all over the place. There's area for Pete Odgers. And the eight singles players that will make the NITO ATP Finals in Turin for 2022. We can just go through some of these names. We don't have to be specially forensic about them. Well, I have put team down, but I haven't put any Italians down. I just have a feeling the Italians are going to have a less good year this year. Really? Yep. Felix Ozzurelli, Asim, Sinner, some of the names here. I'm just rolling through some of these before we uh, get into our I mean, our I think we can, all, we can all think of the names. We you know we put down Medvedev, Tsitsipas, wow. Nadal, Djokovic. It's, it's who, who are the seventh and eighth that are going I to I don't be? have Nadal because I think this is if they play. Even if he qualifies, I don't think Nadal will take part. So I, that's why I haven't gone Nadal anymore. I'm, I'm sure he'll qualify, but I just don't think he'll be there. And if we're going on the eight that will... Do you know his cousin? Be there. Getting no, I just, I just know. I don't think Christopher <laughs> O'Connell's going to be there. But that's, that's the only cousin I know or don't know. I've gone for Jill's Roland Garros winner to be there. You haven't got faith in him making it, but I have. Alcaraz is there. Rublev is, of course, there. I've got one Italian in Berrettini. I thought Shapovalov is, is probably... Nice. I, I was about to say, is he my dark horse? I would say Alcaraz will probably be. Then Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev. And I have Rublev in there too. The interesting thing, though, just to point out, at this point, flipping through these, and Candy Reads and Outliers put Andy Murray in. Interesting. There's one name that's not appearing at all that has appeared pretty much in every year we've been doing this in the top Federer. eight. Federer. I, well, I was wondering about Federer. You see, my feeling is that Federer won't come back until at least the middle of the year. So it makes it very hard to, for him to qualify. Federer is a quick starter, but he will be touching 41 by the time he comes back. And I just wonder whether, you know, he, he, I can see him winning a couple of um, 500 level tournaments. Masters 1000, possibly enough points to qualify. Just can't see it. Yes, so that's what's just interesting to observe. Like we're talking about how it changes. Things like the time capsule tend to, uh, you know, show up those sort of things. So, finally, Jill, yes, you be the last word on this. Give us your eight because we'll get through everyone's. Give us your eight. I have Medvedev, Djokovic, Zverev, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Nadal, and two Italians, Berrettini and Sinner. Okay. Nice selections, nice selections. I can't remember mine, but you've got them written down in front of you, and I think oh, I only I wrote down seven. Writing, don't ask me to do that. Well, that's totally fair. <laughs> well, I have to pass then. Go to Gigi. And I've read mine out. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, but I'm just looking across the board. I think there's there's some similarities. Are there any here? really wild card random? Well, the players? only one was uh, Candy Reeds of Murray. I think Alcaraz. That's quite Alcaraz. Marcus Buckland has picked Alcaraz. I think there's a lot of good shout-outs. I mean, I think. I don't know. I don't think it's that weird going with anybody. <laughs> and even though, actually, I said that you had Alcaraz winning Roland Garros not being at Tour Finals. And I've you got, thought that was weird. Now, no, but I've got team winning Roland Garros and I don't have him at the Tour Finals because I think a little bit like Nadal, even if he qualified, I think physically he, he wouldn't play. be there. I have stumbled on the pick, the pick. The hardworking producer, whose name I found out was Russell at the end of last year. That took me about five years. Now, we know him, obviously, quite well. He's put in a prediction right at the very end. He slipped it in, an Australian. He's gone for Nick Kyrgios to feature in Turin. That is because our hard-working producer, Russell, would like Nick Kyrgios to feature in Turin. <laughs> I think the, the reality, I think the problem in Nick Kyrgios is, there are some, but is doesn't really travel that well, likes to be at home. This will be the time he loves, but is he going to pandemic or no pandemic going to get out there and travel and put in the hard yards around the world I think that 
would be the big bollard in the way of Turin amongst maybe a few other bollards. Yeah, it's a fair comment. And, and the thing is, I love Kyrgios because of the way he plays and he can win any match on his day. I'm not sure how many he could win in a one week or two week period because his problem is that he has no real desire to put in the hard yards that actually make players bounce back after a really long match one day and then they can play at full level the next. Do you know, there's often, in many years, you will get somebody whose natural ranking, if I can use that term, uh, is around 30 to 60, who has just a a lights-out year, gets into the top 10, and then the following year can't defend their points. But you know, we're, we're forever quoting them as well. Reached a career high ranking of six, you know, um, and, and I just have a feeling that this could be one of the years when we, one of the players who we don't normally think of, who is ranked around 40, 50, could just strike gold and have a have a stellar year and be the name that no one saw coming in, in the uh, uh, in Turin. Well, would anyone have thought that Cameron Norrie was going to go as an alternate, let alone play a match at the start? I know he tipped himself on Delray Beach as the player to watch, which I think is absolutely fantastic. But they all have to tip themselves. No, no, but, no, but they don't, because they asked all the players. No one tipped themselves apart from who, who everyone was saying, oh, and he said, well, actually, how about me? But And who would have thought that Cameron Norrie would have entered not only with two titles, Los Carbos and, and Indian Wells, but then to go as an alternate and actually play in the, the two finals and finish as, as world number 12. So it's, it's possible. All right, the time capsule is sealed. I forgot to bring my uh, little box with me, but I'll take it home and I'll put it in the sealed box, all of our predictions. They will be opened up at our podcast after the NITO ATP finals of 2022, where we will go through and discuss them in forensic detail, particularly if I win, which gives me an excuse to come over to your side of the world, uh, Gigi and Chris, at the end of the year to drop off said trophy and to, to run through. Of if course. you forget the trophy, don't worry. Of course, if... Uh, Just bring the time capsule box. The hard-working producer's uh, there. He'll, I'm sure, accommodate me and, and uh, fly me over and all that sort of stuff, which I'm sure. Anyway, back to the tennis. The Australian Open is not too far away. I could sit out here all day. We're, we're sat out at Garden Square. It is beautiful. It is sunny. It's lovely Sunday afternoon. The calm before the storm, and we're going to get ready for some great action. Gigi, always great to catch up with you. It's Thank so you great having me. you in, in Melbourne and being a part it's of the podcast. To be here. Chris, Jill, we will pick up things uh, halfway through the Australian Open in our very next podcast. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. And that's it for the podcast. We are done. We will look forward to your company in our next podcast. We will wrap up week one of the singles, the doubles. There's plenty to look forward to. The Australian Open is right on the doorstep. And we'll have plenty more in our next edition of the ATP podcast.